Hey guys, welcome back to the CC.co podcast. This is our second season of the podcast, and we're calling it Reasons I Believe, where Pastor Bob Yaglione will be presenting the evidence of 22 reasons why he absolutely positively believes in God. So without further ado, let's get into it. Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Reasons I Believe podcast. My name is Bob Gaglione. I'll be here for your host all through 2022, giving you my 22 reasons why I believe there absolutely positively is a God. And I've been on this search my whole life. Now, I came to the conclusion at 21, but my curiosity has never waned. So uh, these reasons mean a lot to me. Uh, Think about it. Uh, We were born into a world. We never chose our parents. We never chose to be born. And we're in this ball floating through space. We know there's not life anywhere else. And yet we have this abundant world that we live in. And so I believe there's deep longing in each and every one of us. I think the God that created us, the book of Ecclesiastes says, put eternity within our hearts. That's why we're never satisfied with the mundane or even with a modicum of a success or, or financial resources, there are those probing, probing questions. And my goal of this podcast is that you would go on a quest, that you would begin to look at life, slow down a little, and begin to look at life and uh, ponder the evidence. And um, at the end of the day, it's a leap of faith, but, but we do want to pull the evidence. And my goal really in the podcast is I'm just trying to point you somewhere. I'm not proving anything to any of you. Obviously, there's people listening out there that have PhDs and are well-read, smarter than I am. I'm going to point you to experts in their field. I, I've had guests, most of these podcasts, who are brilliant contributors to their field. I'll reference books. I'll reference uh, great men and women of the past, contemporaries. Always encourage you to read, try and give you some uh, great reading material, and then really to explore for yourself. Get out into the world, even if you're an atheist, a skeptic, even a believer. Uh, start pondering the things around you and start asking the deep questions. So I want to get into my next reason of my 22 reasons. And one of the reasons I believe there's a God is what I would call the genius of marriage. Now, I know what you're thinking. I can feel it through the airwaves. You're thinking marriage. Marriage is something that men and women do. Marriage has been around since the beginning of time, at least I think it has. Procreation alone tells me that a man and a woman would hook up together and build a family. And you look at, at, at cultures and it seems to be that uh, this is the way it's always been. Uh, to quote Malcolm in Jurassic Park, life finds a way. But if you really begin to explore this, researchers all agree that marriage really is a an institution that's obviously unique to human beings. The animals don't do it. And They certainly procreate. Stephanie Kuntz has written a book called Marriage a History. I think that's kind of an easier read. It's it's not very um, laborious or such. And I want to quote her. She says that there's hundreds of theories, stories, and fables explaining the origin, but really no one's been able to determine how marriage arose. And she's right. Uh, You could study the great anthropologist um, of history and you could read all these hundreds of theories. She's done the heavy lifting for us. And, and no one really knows how it arose. And 
uh, really the place where it arose is in the Bible. The very first pages, part of creation actually. The word Genesis, the first book in our Bible, the Greek is origins. And there we do find the origin of marriage. Now, I know for some people this is a leap because maybe you don't even believe in the Bible. It's going to be one of our reasons down the road. But let's just take the Bible as history. Let's take it as a document that was written, by the way, uh, 2,500 years ago. There's nothing like it. Museums of the world are filled with things that the Bible has spoken about. Uh, if it, if the Bible wasn't deemed religious, this would be the single greatest thing on the planet. It really would. I mentioned the book of Ecclesiastes. That's something Cleopatra would have read. Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. People came from the ends of the earth to hear of his wisdom. Um, even secularists will say it's one of the great works of antiquity. And we have very few works of antiquity left because of the fires at Alexandria and places like that parchment that was destroyed in wars or famines or, or weather and such. But in the very first pages of the Bible, God brings to us this institution of marriage. And um, it's a very unique account. And, and here's the thing I want you to ponder. Before there was ever the establishment of law, government, education, healthcare, any type of industry, and even worship, God joined a man and a woman together in marriage, in what we call holy matrimony. And here's why God did that, and it's brilliance, and that's why I call it the genius of marriage. The result of that union between a man and a woman, and we'll talk about what that was, um, what it really meant, would result in them being fruitful and multiply. There would be procreation. Now, you don't need marriage to procreate. In fact, evidence supports that you can go to um, developing countries, impoverished areas, where people are having children out of wedlock or uh, they're not joined in marriage, and sometimes the rate of birth is higher. But marriage was the idea of a man and a woman being fruitful and multiply. There would be human flourishing uh, that would become the building blocks of society. In other words, families, strong families would build strong communities. Strong communities would build, you know, we could say strong churches or strong social institutions. And, um, excuse me, that would build great nations. God's genius of putting a man and a woman together was that all parties would benefit. And, and I want to say this because I kind of coined this on my own. Marriage is something where, where everyone wins, but not, but not anyone gets their way. Okay, Everyone wins, but not everyone gets their way. Now, if you look around the world, uh, cultures do it differently, and they have over time. Like, So let's take a harem where there's one man but many women. And we could argue that the man wins there, right? He has many sexual partners. He has many children. Um, why you would want to have that many wives, I don't know. I know it was for political alliances and such, but I think one woman's enough for me, and I think my wife would say dealing with one man, picking up my clothes and things like that is enough for her. Men generally win because it's been the way of the world. Men are stronger. They can they can dominate. It, it's, it's just been the way of the world. But only in marriage does, does a man win, a woman wins, the children win, the elderly, 
the infirm, the poor, and the needy. See, it was about more than just two people. It was about it was about a greater society. And that's why marriage isn't a private thing. Today we've been kind of duped into thinking, well, you know, this is my partner and this is private. It's between us. No, it's very public. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, there's a reason why vows are exchanged. There's a reason why there's a legal entity to all this. It's civil. There's a uh, a civil servant, whether a pastor or justice of the peace, presides over the event. There's a there's a license that we sign. And then the minute you're married, there's legal benefits, right? Tax benefits. There's um, if my wife is sick, I can get into the hospital. So this is more than just about two people. This is about greater society. Now, I want to look at it from another angle and see how today uh, we're kind of disassembling what a marriage, at least biblically, was always meant to be by God. We have marriage wars today. We're we're kind of um, devolving this system into something that man has created. Uh, when we talk about civil unions, we talk about two women, two men, or 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 all types of things. Uh, but marriage is under attack. It's being disassembled before our very eyes, and a lot of it is in the name of freedom, right? Like open marriages where you could still have other partners. Um, it's supposed to be freeing, same-sex marriages, cohabitation, uh, which almost seems like the norm today. Um, all are supposedly freeing people. And, and the feminist movement has really denounced marriages. Some have called it slavery, legalized rape, tied up with a sense of dependency to someone else. Uh, a trap, right? We hear, hear that often. And um, one college textbook in 1995 even said that marriage has an adverse effect on women's mental health. So by changing marriage or whatever you want to call it, uh, we actually said we were bringing people freedom. And you would hear statistics like 50% of all marriages end in divorce, 70% of people who are currently married are unhappy. So again, let's go back to marriage and why does this point me towards a God. The reason it points me towards a God, and the biblical reason is when God created the world, every day he said it was good. On the sixth day, he said it was very good. But then before sin entered the world, God said something's not good, that man should be alone. And God put Adam to sleep, took out of his side or out of his rib. A woman fashioned it, and then Adam recited poetry when he saw Eve. He said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You shall be called woman. She was taken out of man. Therefore, what a, father, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, they will become one flesh. That's Genesis 2, 18 to 25. Now, I want to unpack the genius of this. I want to give you five reasons. The first reason, again, is this is a very public institution. Now, in the garden, it was only Adam and Eve and God. But over time, there would be the exchanging of vows. When does a marriage start? Not when you say you're in love, not when you live together, not for a hundred reasons. Marriage begins with a vow. Uh, sociologist Linda Waite and a researcher, Maggie Gallagher, have written a secular book. It's not religious, called The Case for Marriage. And in that book, they say that when you marry someone, the public commitment you make changes the way you think about yourself and the person you just married. 
In fact, they believe it changes the way you act and think about your future. There's there's a permanence to it, right? And it ch- it changes really how other people uh, begin to look at you. Now, the Book of Common Prayer has been around for 1,500 years, and uh, it's where we get the general vows like, you know, I... You know, I take you this day to have and to hold from this day forward. But notice notice the words. Better or worse, rich or poor, sickness and health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. The Book of Common Prayer in those vows lays out what we would call in the ancient world a covenant or what we would call today a contract. Notice from this day forward, this is one entity now. And this last only till death, it's permanent. The words of Jesus, what God has put together, let no man divide. Now, sometimes at a wedding, you'll see people share their own vows and they're often moving and wonderful, but notice these vows are permanence. They're about the long run, taking a long view of life. And the reason is because we change. So God in his genius created a situation We're two people, and this isn't a bad thing, people, because there's a reason people are still queuing up to get married. It solves the loneliness factor, but it solves it in a deep and greater way. It said Adam and Eve were naked and they were not ashamed. And then Adam knew Eve and they bore children. To know in the Bible is to have sexual relations, but notice it's not just a physical act. You can know someone intimately. This can only happen between a man and a woman. Where sexually there's intimacy, but guess what? They were naked and unashamed spiritually, emotionally, at almost every level. That is the one person in life where you will go deep and it will be unlike any other relationship because you have vowed for all of time to be with that person. Now, here's what stands out to me. We all know life changes. We all know we're going to decrease physically. We don't know what's ahead of us as far as health or wealth or the tribulations and trials of life, to know someone will always be there for me? Wow, sounds like something amazing that points me to God, and I'll tell you why it points me to God in a few minutes. We know two are better than one. The book of Ecclesiastes says that we know that anyway. My wife and I just recently got into a boat club, and we made our maiden voyage. And uh, when I switched out for my wife to drive, I hit the kill switch. And didn't know how to put it back, and we couldn't start the boat. And we were kind of floating toward a pylon, and I was nervous, sweating. Finally figured it out, but it was two of us that were better than just one of us. Same thing when you go on a long road trip or anything. Two are better than one. James Dobson, who had a radio show called Focus on the Family, talked about his friends Keith and Mary. he known them for 45 years. They had been married for the 40 years he had known them. And he tells a story how when Keith and Mary were married two weeks later, Mary was confined to a wheelchair for the rest of her life in a bad accident. And how for these 40 years, Keith has carried her to and from her bed and wheeled her around and combed her hair and washed and bathed her. And when James Dobson asked Keith why he stayed married to Mary and didn't look for a younger, more attractive, healthier wife, he shared those vows for better or worse for richer or poorer, in sickness and health. The power of a vow, the power of I'll be here for you, 
It's part of the genius of marriage. Now, marriage, at least in a biblical concept, was a contract or a covenant of companionship. Yes, there are sexual relations. Yes, there's romance. But again, at a deep level, you have a companion who knows you and you know them. Um, in the book I just previously mentioned by those two authors, they go into many advantages that married couples have over single people. Uh, Linda Waite, Maggie Gallagher, I'm not going to take you through all these, and in no way are we demeaning single people or people that are divorced, but but just the, the, the practicality of this concept. They talk about, and they give a lot of research on how uh, married people are well off financially, more than single people, for the simple reason of shared resources. Two rents get reduced to one rent, sometimes one car, one lawnmower, uh, one set of washers and dryers. Um, it's just a, a simple fact. The, there's the specialization of roles, right? So um, I grew up landscaping. I brought that skill set into our marriage. My wife can garden if she wants, but she doesn't worry about cutting hedge or taking care of grass. There's things that she does that I never enter into because she has a wonderful skill set. Some people are really good at uh, doing the bills and um, cleaning, raising kids, all kinds of specialization. If you Google retirement wealth, uh, there's a vast difference between married couples and the wealth they've accumulated uh, against those who are separated, widowed, and divorced. Obviously, if you get divorced, you have to split everything. People that are married save more because, again, the long run, there's children, and and uh, they're looking at long-term benefits and, and maybe medical things in the future. Basically, married people say, we're all in, and they shift their vision from kind of a short-term to a long-term. Dave Ramsey, who does uh, financial planning, you may hear him on the radio, says that the first thing every couple needs to do is identify who the saver in the marriage is and who the spender is. And it really does flesh out that way. There's always one of them, and we need to counterbalance. See, the problem if you're single and you're the spender, there's no counterbalance and vice versa. So the authors go on to say that married people are healthier. The evidence from our decades of research is surprisingly clear. A good marriage in both men and women's best bet for living long and healthy lives. There are lower rates of alcoholism, uh, illness, lower rates of mental disease, uh, lower death rates. Uh, married people with heart disease or cancer on average live longer than their unmarried, healthier counterparts. Married people generally eat better, take care of themselves, live more stable lives. And in general, married people are significantly happier than who's, those who aren't married. Don't be mad at me. I'm just giving you the research. And this is why we want to do it. My son is single. And when he drives back to New York, I'm always concerned because I know he's driving 80 miles an hour. If he were married with a couple of kids, I think he'd drive safer. More people depend on him. Some of this stuff is just common sense. I talked about intimacy. Married people have more sex. <laughs> That's not what Hollywood tells us. They have more sex because it's available. It's safer. It's there. Intercourse is a wonderful gift God gave to human race. Children are a byproduct of that. Family's a byproduct of that. It's just amazing that God thought of this and gave it to the human race. I shared earlier that half of all marriages end in divorce. I'm the product of divorce. 
And, you know, this started really or excelled in the late 70s when no-fault divorce uh, was legalized in many of our states. Some states have drive-by divorce. Some people go into marriage thinking if this doesn't work out, uh, I can get divorced. First-time marrieds, about 1 in 4, 25% uh, divorce. And it's so hard because think of the word divorce. It means to tear. There's a book called The Legacy of Divorce, a 25-year landmark study where they follow children of divorce and how really they suffered almost every statistical category. Now, again, you know, children are resilient and, and I've overcome all that and so have so many other people, but but a lot of people carry that into their marriage and um, and it's not good. So marriage, as at least as the Bible defines it, and by the way, the Bible's the only place that defines it, is one man, one woman forsaking all others till death to them part. Forsaking all others, think about that. There's always going to be someone prettier, more handsome, makes more money. But marriage says, no, 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 that's all out of bounds because I choose you. The captain and Tennille, who by the way are divorced, said, um, think of me whenever... Some sweet-talking girl, she comes along, and they always will come along. The exclusivity of marriage says, no, 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 um, that's all off the table. It's really to death do us part. So it's one man for one woman, forsaking all others till death do they part. And again, all parties benefit, all parties. Children of married parents are psychologically, physically, and mentally healthier. That's from uh, several books that I've read. They're be- better educated later in life and enjoy more career success uh, than children from other settings. And children with married parents are also more likely to escape some of the more common disasters of what we're reading about in the 21st century and about so many things going on in adolescence. And I'm not even going to get into the absence of the father. Uh, you could just, you could Google all this stuff. And the more you put it together, you understand that this really does point us to the genius of God. Now, those of us listening are say, what about bad marriages? What about husbands that beat their wives? Yeah, so there's there's bad in everything. We don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Marriage points me to God because it's the only thing that makes sense. And it points me to God because there's sacrifice. If I get up and I'm a servant to my wife and she's a servant to me, things will go well. It teaches us that life's not all about us, that that sometimes we have to go down to go up, that there's shared resources and their benefits. This is where children learn the best, right? They learn how to share. They they watch mom and dad work things out. They watch chores, you know, divvied out. And 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 again, you know, there's all kinds of bad situations. But but what was God's original intention? Now sin entered the world. It's never been perfect since the garden. That's why there's repentance and forgiveness. But it still points us to a God who allowed us to live life and flourish, and it really is with one partner. Doesn't mean we can't have friends. Doesn't mean we don't go to other social institutions. It just means we become one flesh. We become one. It's genius. It's brilliance. And that's not even getting into the sexuality, which has its whole other genius that God created, the pleasure, the procreation. The reason why marriage points us to God, I think singularly, is because it shows us his relationship towards us. 
So I'm giving you 22 reasons to believe in God. But when you finally do believe in this God, you will find out the God that he is. Every hair on our head is numbered. See, he knows us, and he's not ashamed of us. It's not to be ashamed to be called our God. And guess what? He'll never leave us or forsake us. His attachment to us is permanent. Neither famine or sword or pestilence or anything will ever separate us from the love we have in Christ Jesus when we know God. And I know we're getting ahead of ourselves with, because Jesus is going to be a reason to believe in God and, and there's going to be the Bible and some other things. But I'm trying to show you things in our culture that you may have never thought about. You may have been at weddings. You've wondered, where did this come from? By the way, uh, nowhere in the Bible is there a prescribed wedding format. Jesus attended a wedding in Cana. Uh, there were parables about Eastern religions. Um, I read you the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, there were Jewish vows. We know there was a contract. We know it was public. And again, this started in the Bible. Now, other cultures copied it. Other cultures changed it. Our culture's changing it. We have civil unions. Call it whatever you want. But if you're really talking about marriage, the originator was God. He set the rules, and it was for human flourishing. And again, that verse in Genesis, therefore a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they become one flesh, appears four times in the New Testament and speaks of Christ and his love for the church, which is not a building, it's people. So we serve a God of permanence. Never leave us, never forsake us. And he gave us this union to show us that we're not perfect, that we need him. I'm Bob Gaglione. Marriage is the reason why I believe in God. I'm here to give you 22 reasons in the year 2022. Check out our previous ones. I'll see you next time with our next reason. God bless. Thanks for listening. Our hope is for this season to sow seeds of faith to all who listen in. So we'd love for you to be sharing these episodes to whoever God puts on your heart. And if this episode ministered to you in any way, we'd love to hear from you. Get connected to us by following CC.co on Instagram, on Facebook, and subscribing to our YouTube channel so you don't miss out on any other content coming your way. Love you guys. Until the next episode.